Hi, I'm Biz. And I'm Teresa. Due to the pandemic, we bring you One Bad Mother straight from our homes, including such interruptions as children, animal noises, and more. So let's all get a little closer while we have to be so far apart. And remember, we are doing a good job. This week on One Bad Mother, how do I talk to my kids about that? Plus, Biz is a steely ship and is joined by Anastasia Higginbotham to talk about how to discuss deeply uncomfortable subjects with kids. Woo! If Biz woos on a recording by herself, does she make a noise? I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that question is. Uh, hi, guys. We are here. We are trying out a few new little formatty things, given that Teresa is still out. I want to first take a moment to say, Teresa, I love you. I'm thinking of you, and you are doing an amazing job. I would also like to take a moment to once again just give a big shout out to all of the essential workers who are helping to keep us safe, who are keeping us fed, who are getting us packages, who are really putting themselves at risk every day and are amazing and are very, very appreciated. I also want to continue to give a shout out to all of the peaceful protesters who are continuing to march for change in our country when it comes to racial injustice uh, and inequality. And wow, that it's a lot, guys. And all of uh, and to everyone who's just staying the fuck home because that's what we've been told to do. And it's important. Because it's allowing these other things to take place. Good job. Okay? We are in summer. (laughs) It's here. And I already hate it. And I'm just going to share a little thing before we get into the show besides hating it. And that is that I am irritated. I am struggling to maintain patience. And I'm finding it incredibly unfair that all other human beings in this house seem to rely on my mood to regulate theirs. If they yell at me or raise their voice, and these are the children, (laughs) towards me or even just near me, right? I am supposed to let it roll off. If I snap or make a face that expresses that I am completely fucking over it, it's like a wildfire. I can just see their emotions change before my eyes. I have to be like some sort of fucking steely ship soaring through an ocean of feelings. And I'm about over it. I'm just looking here over the Zoom at Hannah. Hannah, I'm about fucking over it. I just, it's deeply unfair. My inner toddler is like, I'm, I'm like helping everybody navigate their emotional loads and they and they're all valid loads it's just i am i am not getting the emotional (laughs) the emotional support that i am needing and i am a little over it uh, which is why i have locked myself in the bedroom all day today (laughs) totally healthy 
and just like a some sort of steely boat steering through an ocean of feelings. And that's difficult to navigate, which I think ties in nicely to what we're going to talk about today on the show, which is, you know, navigating difficult things that we have to tell our children about. Please take a moment to remember, if you're friends of the hosts of One Bad Mother, you should assume that when we talk about other moms, we're talking about you. If you are married to the host of One Bad Mother, we definitely are talking about you. Nothing we say constitutes professional parenting advice. Biz and Teresa's children are brilliant, lovely, and exceedingly extraordinary. Nothing said on this podcast about them implies otherwise. Talking to our kids about difficult things, that's hard and unpleasant. And so today I am welcoming Anastasia Higginbotham. Anastasia launched her Ordinary Terrible Things Children's Books series in 2015 with Divorce is the Worst. She has released three more books in the series, Death is Stupid, Tell Me About Sex, Grandma, and Not My Idea, a book about whiteness. Her books demonstrate a way for kids to cope with change and loss by making meaning out of whatever broken, ragged, or unraveling life circumstances they face. Well, that fits in well with this show. Welcome, Anastasia. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) We are doing this remotely, so I'm getting to see Anastasia via the Zoom, our new overlord and master. And she's so sweet. And I, she's like, she's very sweet. And the books are aggressive and wonderful, right? Like, I mean, these are aggressive titles. Tell me about sex, Grandma. I love this so much. Before we get into that, though, who lives in your house? Okay, who lives in my house? Um, My two sons live in my house, a 10-year-old and a 15-year-old. My partner, John, lives in my house. And a cat named Carlita, which is the name she was given at the uh, shelter. She she lives in our house for the last almost four years. 10 and 15. Well, good job. You have gotten that far. Yeah, That's- it's different. Yeah, do you want to tell me about it just before we go crazy? Because I've got a, I have a 10-year-old daughter, mm-hmm. and that is becoming its own thing. And that's good. That's mm-hmm. supposed to become a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have a six-year-old son, and I don't know anything about mm. boys or sons or any of those things. <laughs> I have a lot of stereotypes and tropes. Uh, <laughs> that yeah, I, yeah, that's what we all I come use. into this with. Yeah. How... I'm just going to make a bad joke that could be based in reality. How smelly is that house right now? You know what? <laughs> I, <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, Are you? maybe it would. Maybe it would smell more if we were allowed to play outside. Yeah. Oh, that could be it. Because this house is, my husband's like, well, humans live here. That's why it smells yeah. so bad all the time. These, everybody <laughs> makes a smell in this house and I just think as they get older and you have even more opportunity to make smells <laughs> yeah they're um thank goodness I will go you know as soon as this is over I'm going to go yeah. and appreciate them for how wonderful they smell <laughs> most of the time and and We're, apologize to them for apparently my own 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. We're just you know. I'm sure. Yeah, I don't. Like, everybody, good. thanks for being patient. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's shift into talking about difficult things like okay. personal hygiene. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't have to be difficult. Doesn't have to be difficult. Um, we are. Uh, we've had lots of discussions on the show, and are big believers in talking about things with the kids. Sex, let's do it. Let's have mm-hmm. many talks, mm-hmm. some short, some more in-depth, depending on how much you want to know, when you want to know it. That's good. Yes. And that, I think, initially can feel difficult to talk about. But what really stinks is there are a lot of things that are even more difficult to talk about mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. our kids. And I, I think... I feel like with kids, there's a before you have kids world where you're like never even thinking about those discussions Mm -hmm. unless you've witnessed somebody having that discussion Mm -hmm. in which you have lots of opinions of how they (laughs) had that discussion. How badly they did and you would do it better if it was you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, you know. That's Mm -hmm. great. And then you have kids and maybe you still don't think about it. Because you don't want to think about it. And there's lots of other stuff going on. Did you just set off? You had kids and you were like, I can't wait to share really difficult things with them. Is that like, like, <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, I wanted to feed them like olives and <laughs> avocados yeah. and fresh bread and chocolate. But I also <laughs> did, in fact, want to have those conversations. I really was excited about that responsibility. And because I'll tell you what, I mean, you might you might come around to my way of thinking here. In a I love coming around. <laughs> so please, please. So the, the things about parenting that uh, drive me completely crazy and make me cry are things like trying to get mittens on a toddler. Yeah. And That's a horrible thing to have to, to do. I agree. Somebody to wear a coat when it's cold, <laughs> or like, no, you should, you should actually eat. You, you, yeah. you haven't eaten in hours. That the food is there. I, I made it. So like fighting over that kind of stuff is horrible. Yeah. But like talking about dismantling white supremacy is is exactly what I, I think I was put on this earth to do with the child because now you've got my attention now I'm like now I give a shit Um, before I was just like why are why are we fighting over this coat why are we fighting over food you have food are you kidding me but um yeah you want to know about like uh, the intricacies of sex and sexuality I'm I'm here for that I'll stop whatever I'm doing in fact Please give me some reason to stop doing these dishes. Yeah. yeah just, just take your coat off and sit down and we'll talk about it. That's right. Wow. You, that is some beautiful perspective right there. Because I do think, but I think that's like part of the trap, you know, it's like part, it's a little bit part of the trap that I love falling into and getting stuck in at times, despite what my brain Mm. or other instincts are yelling, is getting, because most of the time, day to day, it is the the mittens and Mm -hmm. the hats and Mm -hmm. the lunches and the, The uh, just eat the damn food, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that Mm -hmm. is such 
a major part of the day-to-day that makes us start to feel not like a self. And right. then when these bigger topics come up, these things that, like you say, really are important, mm-hmm. okay? I mean, that's really, right. these are big things. Death, yeah. divorce, whiteness, you know, yeah. like racial mm-hmm. injustice. These are things that are going to touch all of us mm-hmm. at some point in time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel like... I know that I can find myself so exhausted Mm -hmm. from the little things Mm -hmm. and from my own, like, Neglect? Well, oh, yeah, thank you. (laughs) Yes, my own neglect. Uh Uh, That, like, where am I supposed to rally to start getting into these things? It's a lot easier to be like, I'll tell you later. It's not a big deal. Everything's okay. isn't this why we go to school? Like, right. can you go go ask grandma? I wish yeah. that would have been. <laughs> yeah. It's, so. That's handy. Before writing the, I'm, I'm assuming. I don't I have assume, the answers in the moment. No, I know you don't have the answer, but I'm interested in your journey. Like yeah. these books didn't come out before you had kids and they mm-hmm. didn't come out like a year after you had kids. They right. came out after the mittens and the coats and yeah. things like that. So I'm wondering about your journey getting to the books. Yeah, good question. My, my kids actually helped me to write the books. So they were old enough that they really had a lot of input, creative input and um, critical feedback of like, this makes sense or doesn't make sense. Do I need this? Should I leave it out? But in terms of my own craft, I started writing as a young adult, right? So early 20s, I really wanted to be a writer and an activist. I wanted to be Gloria Steinem. I wanted to have that life. And what happened was I, I kept getting in my own way. And I kept writing the same things. I kept trying to process my parents' divorce. I kept trying to process my grandparents' lives and deaths and I I kept stumbling over like my own relationship to sexual abuse from or you know early age yeah and and understanding even what happened there and then yes understanding my race and my place in this whole thing so all those kinds of injuries which were in my childhood injuries and also you know events that I was still trying to figure out what I was going to do with them, how I was going to make myself out of them, you know, which is what, right. we're, that's our work in our 20s. Like, we yeah. become, right. we take that <laughs> which, childhood and we try to turn it into an adulthood. <laughs> and, oh man, um, I screwed that up so bad. <laughs> you're supposed to. That's good. what the 20s are for. Good, good. <laughs> so, but I kept really, like, just spinning on those mm. moments and those moments of heartbreak or confusion or resentment and bitterness. And, and so my writing just kept going to that place. And I was like, good God. I, so then I just decided to just go, just go there yeah, and be like, okay, so what did I need to hear that I didn't hear then? And I, I just started to really in my thirties, I started to hear that voice that one might wish they had heard when they were 10 and 11 and 12 and 13 or, or six and seven years old, that kind of would walk, walk me through it. Yeah. So I realized there were these books that I wished I could pull off the shelf and walk myself through it. And that 
I had to write them. I had to make them. And I had tried with comics. I had tried with essays. Um, and what really finally came together was collage. Yeah, I want to talk about the collage because it's really interesting. So, um, so everybody who's listening, these are, again, these are, you know, books for kids, this the, dealing with these really difficult discussions we have to, to have. I'm going to start when it comes to the collage. I'm going to start with the one death is stupid. <laughs> also, <laughs> your titles are just spot on. Shout out to Jennifer Baumgartner, my publisher all along the way. She never, ever messed oh. with my titles. and I'm so glad. Yeah, I'm I was so going to ask too, that. Because she has really good taste. And if she had said this is not the title, I would have, you know, I would have deferred to her. But she just let them be. And I, I'm so relieved that people laugh and it makes them happy. No, it's good. I mean, because humor, I think, plays in with honesty. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think those two can go hand in hand beautifully. But I mean, God, I am Southern and dark. All pain is funny. Okay. Like that is just how we were raised in my house. It makes us really weird people to go see dark movies with. <laughs> we just laugh. Pain can be funny. Yeah. No, it, helps. it, it helps. The collage format, guys, it's like ripped brown paper bags and and like writing on the bags like a pinned writing and mixed with fabric scraps and and other bits of collage and it, it's it's strikingly beautiful and it's not distracting it it actually really manages to communicate what you're going for can you it makes actually your characters stand mm-hmm. out a great deal so why the collage yeah they're like paper dolls they they yeah. and i dress them in real mm-hmm. like fabric and i do their hair with either it's ribbons or i'm just drawing in each little curl it's just what i know how to make i used to make mm-hmm. books like this when i was little i i mm. don't know how books are made like when i look at a book <laughs> that is really um, gorgeous and smooth. Honest to God, I don't, I'm 48 years old. I don't know how they do that. And so I made, I started making my book when I said, you know, I want, this is the book I want to pull off the shelf. I just started making it the same way I would have started making it in fifth grade. Mm. And, and you can see in the books that I got better as I went along. And yeah, (laughs) we all get better as we go along. Book or no book. That's our I just, it was just like, just, just start, just start, just make it. And um, so I just used what was available to me. Like there, I didn't go to art school. I didn't have a lot of time or any, you know, extra income to go to this. It was my, yeah. so like what's available? Grocery bags. I love brown paper grocery bags. They're beautiful. They're tough. They, they really hold up and they can hold, you know, when I glue the paper, person on there and the sky and the little couch and the little rug it's heavy so the brown paper bag is sturdy enough tough enough to hold it but it's also just really really pretty and um, I wanted the skin tones to be brown and different variations on brown too so that children would see themselves in the images and be able to uh, project into the pages like that so and also when I draw 
a picture that's just line drawing, I'm, I feel like it doesn't capture the light, it doesn't capture the depth. But mm. when I can cut out a sky out of just some page, you know, in a catalog, but I can get that purple sky and fit it into a window in the bedroom of this child who I'm taking care of and putting pajamas on, there's something about that. I mean, that's just, it made it feel and look real to me. Now it looked real. I have to say, there's got to be some form of therapy in putting it together that way. Like, I mean, totally. if you're able to process through mm-hmm. some sort of tangible task, yeah. I think that's amazing. I think that's yeah. that's remarkable. that mm-hmm. it And it comes out in the book. Can we... Can we talk about, I want to talk about Death is Stupid, yeah. because I feel like this is just one of the most unavoidable topics ever. Everybody dies, and lots of times not when you want them to. Mm. And I think the thing that I like the most about Death is Stupid, I mean, the book is about this young child who is, it starts out with them at a funeral, and all the things that people are saying to him while he's trying to figure out what death is. Right. And it's amazing because you share his perspective, like his responses mm-hmm. to what mm-hmm. they're, they're saying. One of my favorite things is every life comes to an end and then the person says, she's in a better place. And then you write, dying is not a punishment. And the child asks, would I be in a better place if I died? <laughs> and then the, the adult responds, heavens no, right? Like, <laughs> no, no, I like no. that because it's like it's half the time stuff comes out of our mouth and we don't realize the implications. But there's this just, the, I think that's such a beautiful and great exchange. Mm-hmm. So much of what we say is garbage a lot of time. And it's not meant to be. Just words start coming out of our mouths when we're asked questions. It's made up of things that we've been told. It's just, you know, a million Hallmark cards. It is. It is a million Hallmark Hallmark cards. And it's also the fact that, so for example, when my mother said to me that she's in a better place about her mother, Mm. she was a grown-up seeing her mother deteriorate from Alzheimer's for years and years and years and years and years and having no quality of life. And me and she, so she was completely authentic in that. Yes. My mother, because of her faith and because of her experience of watching her mother deteriorate, that she's in a better place. But to me, it rang very callous. Right. Or or at least I I just couldn't, there was nothing I could do with that as true as it was, because I was like, self-centered, but I'm not going to be able to see her anymore. I'm not going to be able to, to, to all I get to do when I see her is put my hand on her hand and feel how soft her skin is, impossibly soft skin, and, and kiss her on her cheek, and her cheek is really cool, and the bone is right, you know, it's like you kiss right on the cheek. I'm never going to get to do that again. So to me, that's a child's whole experience and you know the child in the book death is stupid 
is just trying to make sense of the fact that I will never touch or be touched by this person again who is beloved to yeah. me. And so all those reasons, even it, sometimes there are a million Hallmark cards and sometimes they're that person's truth. Like, yes, boy, that's a really good point. It was time. Yeah. And the child is just like, eh, I didn't get enough time. I'm only eight. Yeah. I'm only 12 or even, and you know how it is too. Like you can be 60 years old and your mother dies and you're like, that wasn't enough time. (laughs) Yes. And I think, and, and just to touch back on you calling yourself, you know, selfish, Mm -hmm. which I understand it's just, that is what children are. They are inherently selfish walking (laughs) on two legs and, you know, eventually we hope they figure it out through some guidance, but like, inherently children to survive are about self-focus and so yeah she can't die I need her yeah yeah what do you mean she's you know my other one that you did is she's sleeping if I'm sleeping am I gonna die I mean that one's the scariest I think of of all of them but Mm -hmm. one of the things about the book and I think is important is it's not we shouldn't just wait for the death of a family member, a human family member, that that this is the same discussion. You know, Sparky did not go to a farm upstate. Right. We're not going to be able to go visit Sparky. Right. I know very little about children. What I have been learning since they've lived in my house is, at least with my children, is that if I... Anything I tell them, there are going to be follow-up questions. Mm. And there's a good chance they're going to be really good questions. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, where I'm like, what? You're not supposed to be thinking like that. So having the difficult discussion is worth it, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> it's worth so it much in the so, long Because you get to know who this person is, the kid, uh, yeah. by how, what kind of question, what you know, your child asks you a follow-up question that you never thought of in your whole life, and now you know something more about your child. Like, all right, I'm learning yeah. about the way your mind works. I'm learning about what this loss is for you. It, you know, ultimately, that's the goal is to know who these people are who live in our house with us. And we can't know them if we don't, if we don't get to see them respond to stress and crisis and conflict, which are the part of any ordinary life well yes that is logical and makes a hundred percent uh sense i don't wanna i don't wanna i I don't want to see my children struggle and suffer and i think (laughs) like i mean i hear you look i mean no one does and i as a person who has my own i call them different lives i have lived in my one lifetime Mm -hmm. A variety of ups and downs and moments and, oh, bad choices and things that my parents could never have mm. protected me from, mm. no matter no matter what they wanted to do or right. how many times they would have warned me, et cetera. And I really value mm-hmm. who I am today based on the mistakes mm. and the lessons and experiences mm. I have had. So I want that for my children. I also do not want that for my children. And I 
Yeah, you want to curate their their uh, exposure to pain if possible. Yes, wouldn't that be lovely? And here's here's another horrible thing I've learned. Okay. They aren't like me. Mm. They they don't attack things the same way I do. Interesting. Or each other. I know, isn't that yeah, interesting? Yeah. And I'm sure unlike anyone else's experience. <laughs> um, and so I feel like this kind of shifts into where we are right now in the world yeah. there there a lot is happening in the world first there's the pandemic and I, i'm going to start there because that was the sort of first thing that made its way into the house in a sense of urgent recent urgency i have spoken to both children but slightly differently based on age but i've uttered the words of it's going to be fine mm-hmm. And I have no proof to back that up. Mm. And, you know, I, I That's guess. That's all right. Is that I guess like a lie it, to you? Because it doesn't sound, it doesn't ring false to me. Well, I think I struggle with wanting to tell them what would be good mm. information. Yes, absolutely. That might help them process it. Yeah. While you're trying to process it at the same time. And it's the first time this ever happened to you in your lifetime, too. Well, right. And I think, but there's also not just wanting to protect them from all horrible, bad things, which we can never do. But I don't, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to watch them struggle mm-hmm. through it. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm th- this is a show about honesty yeah. and like us just being, I'm obviously going to. I'm obviously going to be there for that. Yeah. But I don't want to. It's like mm-hmm. when my daughter would climb to the top mm-hmm. of the slide and stand on the bars and say, look at me. I would say, Katie Bell, I love you so much. I know you're up there and I'm glad <laughs> I'm not. I can't look. Yeah. If I look, I'll never let you do anything in your entire life. <laughs> so I'm just down here supporting you yeah. from without looking. Well done. I would like to well, thank you. I would like to do that the entire <laughs> Yeah, yeah you this. can't do it for everything. No. Mm-mm. Damn! Sometimes you have to see them, literally see them through trouble. Okay, you talk to a lot of people <laughs> uh-huh. writing these books. Uh-huh. I mean, you obviously have okay. some insight, but I know that you, you spoke with different people in, in writing this. Yeah. What are some things that you learned about helping them through this or having to sit and watch them go through it? Um, that I just learn every day like the rest of us. <laughs> Damn it! Yeah, I know. You I'm so sorry. I was supposed ah, to fix it. All right. Yeah, it's um I just learn what it feels like, you know, you learn about yourself, right? Cuz you're like uh you know, there might and if you're parenting with someone else, something will come along, some kind of challenge and you're like, "Oh, our kids got this. This is, you know, I have faith in this. I have faith in this. It's going to be art. And your partner's going completely bonkers because they have some kind of, um, yeah. you know, injury there, probably, most likely. And then sometimes it's you who feels so unsteady and so disoriented by what your child is going through. Not every family has the two people. Not every family needs the two people. But we, are, we do best when we are able to take care of ourselves like, okay, I'm seeing my kid going through this thing. It's affecting me this way. I need to notice that. Now I need to go get, I need to go lean on my people, 
my sister, my brother, my parents, my family, my uh, my friends, my and get that advice and then or or not even get that advice, but just like maybe express some of the hurt I have about seeing my child in trouble. Then I come back and I'm more fresh. Yeah. And then you can bring that kind of um all right, let's see what this is, or you tell me what you think is going on, or what do you need from me? And you can ask those healthy, open-ended questions because you're not on fire yourself, um, you know, on the inside and, and feeling like you're sliding down yeah, and losing it. That's hard. It is. It is. I, <laughs> it is. It is hard. And uh, But it's not as hard as the mittens. You're right. I think I think you actually might really be right. Well, that's it. I know that there's a group of parents out there who really fucking love getting mittens on their (laughs) children. They probably do. And they really hate this other stuff. Okay, let's get into one of your latest books, Not My Idea, a book about whiteness. Yeah, 2018, 2018. Yeah, it's 2018, and yet when I was reading it this week, I checked the publication date yeah it it was happening in 2018 it's been happening yeah and even in in 2018 it was too late in 2014 it was too late in 1982 it was too late I mean it's always too late and it and yet here we are so and yet here we are so it starts out with a story that you share about listening to Toni Morrison Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. about racism Mm -hmm. and I'm gonna I'm gonna quote it it says quote white people have a very very serious problem and they should start thinking about what they can do about it she added take me out of it Mm. As a rape survivor Mm. I definitely have felt that when it comes to the discussion like I, I it gives me a relationship to the victims having to be responsible for solving the problem. I also, throughout various discussions that I see on social media, I really am not a fan of asking people of color to tell me how I can help Mm -hmm. because I'm a grown-ass woman Mm -hmm who can help Mm -hmm. and there are resources out there to help me figure it out and so I too found that comment from Toni Morrison incredibly impactful tell me a little bit about its impact on you and it leading to this book Mm -hmm. thank you thank you for asking me that question um I read that line and I I feel like I remember the exact moment I like jumped up because I had been involved in social justice my whole life to some degree. And that was the first time that when it came to racial justice, that I felt like I had a job. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I knew, I, I felt the urgency, but I was understanding it as a problem outside of myself. Mm that I had to like negotiate over there instead of where she located it right inside of me. I was like, Oh my gosh, I know what to do. Right. Because if you're, if, if you go to the doctor and the doctor says you have a very, very serious problem and you need to think about how you're going to 
what you're going to do about it. You do your research, you study, you, you talk to people who have been through it. And, and in this instance, you're t- I'm talking to other white people. I'm not, I'm not burdening black and brown people with, like, with my curiosity or my questions or my grief. <laughs> Right. You know, there there is a way to do this that people have been doing for hundreds of years, hundreds of years. And I, you know, and I do remember being in college and learning about the Grimke sisters for the first time, Angelina Grimke and Sarah Grimke, who were in the book. And yep. um, these two white women who were just like, fuck slavery. This is <laughs> terrible. We should not be doing this. And they went out there and... And I, I remember relating to them, but somewhere along the way, I, I, I didn't, you know, it didn't fully, fully get in there until when Toni Morrison said that in that interview. Of course, I was watching that interview in 2000 something something, but the interview was 1993. I was just like, right, got it. Marching orders. Those are my marching yeah. orders from Toni Morrison. Like, could oh, you- if Toni Morrison asks me to do something, yeah. I will do it. So, and that's it. <laughs> and it, it's like... That was the, now this is my life. It's my life's work, and I, there's nothing else I want to be doing. Tell me a little bit about what you wanted to explore in this. Yeah, well, I mean, so as the mother of two white sons, I felt like this is a matter of extreme urgency in my own home. Mm. I'm not raising Dylan Roof. I don't want to raise kids yeah. who are doing blackface videos in seventh grade. Oh my God, and I know. What is wrong so with people? I need to, right? I need to, but I need yeah. to be intentional about that. I can't just yeah. take for granted that, you know, kindness and politeness and niceness has never once stopped racism. Racism mm. has never been stopped. It, it, it hasn't, white supremacy hasn't missed a beat since 400 plus years. And in fact, it, you know, it's a roar in our ears right yeah. now. And but it always was. It always was. And the way that I learned history was so distorted because it was always about again the problem that they're having over there. If it's presented to kids in this continuing this distortion of like, well. It's this sad story where uh, black and brown people have been discriminated against, blah, blah, blah. It's like, by whom? In what yeah. ways? And so that's why in the book, I have the white, the, you know, we, I used actually white paper, even though, you know, yeah. my skin's not white like paper. But like the actual white hand holding the bank loan yeah. with the big stamp denied and the white hand holding the eviction notice. And, and the, the white arm of the, of the white woman saying, you know, here's the baby bottle, here's the laundry, take care of my kids yeah. so I can grow. And, you know, that level of ordinary exploitation and discrimination, and yeah. it's, it's in the, the pollution of... But, you know, that's the... You can see it as, a, as the horror that it is, and it is horror. But you can also see that in every one of those choices is another choice. Yeah. And so if I have that much power to cause harm, then I also have that much power to be part of the healing and the transformation out of and through white supremacy. And I want my children to embrace that responsibility, not because, not for someone else's 
safety, but for their own because it's not safe in to be misinformed or ill-informed about this, then you're just going to perpetuate it. Yes. I mean, that's, and again, that is a truth for every difficult that misinformation and not knowing does not keep anybody safe from, from what it is that scares you. Something else I like about this book is that you, again, this is to a child and you give this child the autonomy to make their own choice and to push back and to to take control when those around them are trying to protect them or dismiss it like one of my favorite lines is like be kind we don't see color (laughs) i mean like it's an easy thing to say it's the be kind or you know uh oh i'm so glad you made it here safely right like or just, you know, I'm just going to turn the news off because I don't. And, and the girl in this, who is your protagonist, she eventually just like freaks out on her mom as she, well as she should. What is going on? Right. I like that she pushes that. I like that she then goes to the library to do her own research, mm-hmm. to learn her own way of going forward. And I think that's so great because mm-hmm. just like we're talking about asking our kids to allowing our kids to grieve and deal with Mm -hmm. difficult situations, knowing that they hopefully will come out stronger and better for it. The same goes for, you know, them taking action. We want, we as parents are the front lines. We want, we want this change. Yeah. They're born into something really corrupt that they didn't consent to. And in a way, for white supremacy to work through them is a violation of of their of their consent, of of their bodies, of their minds. It's a it's a mental invasion. And um, I want them to know that that's pollution is coming in and they can they can learn to see it. Like be little spies, learn to see it, catch it lying to you, catch it hiding in you, hold it up to truth. And it will start to disintegrate. And then you have, you can't fix racism, but you can heal yourself from some of these distortions and clear your your vision and learn to see the lie as it's coming through. And then you just, it's just more agency, more autonomy, more like I'm going through my life with intention where my words match my actions. Yeah, and that also... While very complicated, may in the long run be easier than the mittens. <laughs> it's certainly much more gratifying and rewarding. I bet it, because it you is. know they're going to lose is. those mittens as soon as you get out the door. <laughs> and next time you don't even have any mittens. You have to put socks yeah. on there. You have to put socks on their hands. And then when they lose those, yeah. we are never going outside again. Yeah. That's how that yeah. progresses. That's the natural <laughs> progression of mittens. <laughs>
Hey, you know what it's time for this week's Genius and Fails. This is the part of the show where we share our genius moment of the week, as well as our failures, and feel better about ourselves by hearing yours. You can share some of your own by calling 206-350-9485. That's 206-350-9485. Genius, fail time, Anastasia. Would you like to genius me? Wow. Oh my God. Oh my God. I saw what you did. Oh my God. I'm paying attention. Wow. You, Mom, are a genius. Oh my God, that's fucking genius. My child had homework that he didn't want to do and couldn't bear to do. And so I sat next to him and made him laugh. And, um, said a lot of really inappropriate things about the history that he was doing um, (laughs) just to keep his spirits up. And I was very disparaging about all of the history he was learning because I was like, this is not even important. And anyway, this version of the story is not even true. And why are they teaching you this stupid shit? And then, and it made him laugh and feel superior. And then he did all his Mm. work. Boom! That is a genius! (laughs) That, madam, is... A genius. Good. Good job. Good job. I am looking forward to your next book on getting through bullshit homework. Okay. So my genius is totally fucked up. The listeners know that my six-year-old Ellis really loves me. Like uh, needs, I am his total emotional regulator. No matter how many boundaries I set up, he would like to be with me all day and not just with but physically on me uh which is he's he's a little more Mm -hmm. and and that's okay i understand the one time a day that i know is really not my job is his bath and he still likes to have somebody in there with him so usually it's stefan but as we have been sheltering in place and he has been using me more and more as a regulator. He wants less and less to do with Stefan. Uh, God bless Stefan making his efforts. So I'm helping Ellis get into the tub the other day. And I notice as he takes his socks off that he's got two spots that he has just picked into something horrible uh, on his toes. Because he's a picker. And I say, oh, Ellis what's going on with your toe? Mm-hmm. How, how's your toe? Mm-hmm. And he immediately sort of turns his back and he says, I would like to start having my baths by myself, by myself now. Wow. Now, I know. Now, the genius here, and look, guys, this is so fucked up. There's a lot of stuff I should be delving into and exploring. Uh-huh. However, he has consistently, for like a week now, not only gotten into the tub on his own, gotten himself out, gotten himself dressed, the whole nine yards, he feels very proud about being a big kid. And like, I know this wouldn't have happened if I was the one who was always doing his bath. (laughs) So the genius is I have taken advantage of some sort of shame he has about picking his toes and his just general not wanting Stefan to to be a substitute. And he has gained independence. Wow, genius. Wow, Genius move. Way to go. <laughs> Way to you. honor the Thank boundary, you. too. 
Thank you. I just got to honor. So, I mean, there's, again, so much is fucked up under that. But I'm going to ignore it for now. Not too much. Not too much. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Biz and Teresa. This is a genius. I have a three-year-old and a six-month-old. And for the past three weeks, I've been trying to get the six-month-old to take medicine two times a day. He's entirely breastfed and not really eating solids yet. Um, But I've tried everything staying positive and making silly faces and songs and distractions with toys and having my partner hold him and using a bottle nipple and nothing has worked. He would just clamp his mouth shut and spit it out every time until tonight I got him to take the full dose. No screaming or fighting. It was easy peasy. How do you ask? I put that shit on my boob and he happily sucked it off like it wasn't even there. Will I end up with a sticky boob and a crying baby tomorrow? Most likely. But for today, I'm doing a really good job. And so are you. Bye. Yes, you are doing a good job. I, I, there are two geniuses you had in this. Mm-hmm. One was your effort to try and stay positive. Because I guarantee you, some unhelpful person told you, stay positive and make faces. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then... You just solved that problem like a boss. Mm -hmm. You did it. It was weird. No one, you can't share that anywhere other than right here because this is where all weird things come to to live. That should be like, again, like a chapter in a parenting book, right? Like if if your child won't take their medicine, put it on your boob. Mm -hmm. I just think that's... Genius. Mm-hmm. That's genius. You were, yeah, just doing a good job. I love it. Failures. Fail, 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 fail. You suck. Anastasia, I would like you to fail me. This week, ignoring my children from waking up late and proceeding to ignore them. Then, when they get really hungry, and I know there's nothing but celery in the refrigerator, and pepperoncini, (laughs) and one granola bar, I screamed at them, just eat the granola bar. And when they were like, well, we don't want a granola bar, I was like, then put on your mask, and go outside, and buy yourself some groceries, because I don't want to. Um, so, and I, and oh, I really yeah. was angry. I wasn't like wise about yeah. it. I wasn't like trying to encourage yeah. resilience. I was shaming them and depriving them <laughs> of food because I, the things that I was working on and paying attention to mattered a lot more to me than they did. And I basically let them know. <laughs> that, that you're doing a horrible job. I'm sure this will <laughs> scar them for life, but I, I also have to say the moment of the like, why don't you just figure this out? Yeah. Because, because yeah, what you're doing does is more important in that particular yeah. moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. That's so true. Well, you're doing horrible. Thank you. You're welcome. You should definitely post that story mm-hmm. onto Facebook and see how much positive <laughs> feedback you get. <laughs> All right. I'm really trying to get outside every day. We usually let our yard go just super brown in the summer because we live in California and it's very hot and we're not really home and life is good. 
uh, we are now home forever, forever and ever. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would like at least one spot of the very small yard we have to be green a little longer. And so (laughs) my daughter and I go outside and we play like badminton in the front yard in the morning before it gets hot. And I've just started to taking the hose that has like a sprinkler nozzle on it, setting it, and then laying it in the grass and like letting the grass, laying it in the dirt and letting it, because the ground is so dry, just like <laughs> pool on the top and move through the yard. And so I say to Katie Bell, we should, we should probably move that. And she like goes and picks it up and like moves it like an inch, but it's not aiming in any better direction. And I've decided I'm going to go over there and I'm going to move that. Because Katie Bell, that is, it's not, come on, move it, move it where it's making a difference. And I... <laughs> I pick it up, put it down, and the tension in the hose has decided to teach me a lesson. And that thing, like a snake, just rolls over and, like, just right in my face. I am, like, a foot from it as I try to put it down. It's like trying to put down a snake, but it's going to turn around and bite you. This is exactly what it was like. And it just... I had showered. Oh. I had I had done the hair, meaning it was in a ponytail and my bangs looked all right. I just... Full, full frontal wetness. And uh, I have raised a daughter who is smart enough to know to laugh at that. Oh. So, yeah, I just was barely a person. I'm just barely a person in general, but that's one of those just like, uh, there's a little feeling of being shamed somewhere hidden in here. I'm sure it looked terrible, too. Oh, it looked horrible. There's nothing graceful about Women in their 40s getting hosed in their faces in their front yard at 8 o'clock in the morning. There's, that's not like, yeah. not a not not in a sitcom anywhere. Oh, All right. It's a good fail. Whew. You failed. You did that Thank wrong. You. Thank you. You did it I'm all t- wrong. Thank you. I, and you wasted time wrong, and you wasted wrong. just energy. Yeah, everything. That's all the worst things everything. you did there. Yeah, it was bad. Hi, guys. This is a fail. Um, so I have been homeschooling my kids, like many of us, and working from home. And, um, you know, it's mostly been a shit show, but I at least felt like I was on top of it. You know, we're getting stuff done. Um, everything's crazy, and but I felt like I was doing it. So I get an email from the kids teacher today um it went out to the whole class and she mentioned something about their language arts assignments and i kind of thought to myself i was like language arts what language arts assignments (laughs) so um sure enough i went back through all the emails that she had sent for weeks now probably six or seven weeks that have included um you know math and art and music and English, uh, the language arts, we just haven't been doing them. I, I don't know. I didn't see them. I uh, somehow didn't realize my kids needed to learn English. So I don't know. I'm not a teacher. I just, uh, I don't know. My kids I, aren't going to learn to read or write. Who knows? I guess we'll figure it out next year. Thanks for the show. You guys are doing a great job. I kind of suck. Oh, yeah. There, there are so many things that you failed at. First, you admitted to not reading the emails. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, 
like, yeah. I like that you were honestly like eh, six or seven weeks worth of emails. <laughs> I also really am wondering what you've been homeschooling. If you, <laughs> if you haven't been doing what the teacher's been sending out, like, yeah, we've been homeschooling. It's been good. I'm like, huh, what, what it's been. Mm-hmm. Or like, is it like, I love Lucy appreciation. Is it like how to, I don't know. I'm just wondering what you have been working on as opposed to what they would like you to work on. You're doing a horrible job helping your children to learn. <laughs> You're doing a very, very bad job. You are the greatest mom I've ever known. I love you, I love you. When I have a problem, I call you on the phone. I love you, I love you. Welcome back to Fireside Chat on KMAX. With me in studio to take your calls is the dopest duo on the West Coast, Oliver Wong and Morgan Rhodes. Go ahead, caller. Hey, uh, I'm looking for a music podcast that's insightful and thoughtful, but like also helps me discover artists and albums that I've never heard of. Yeah, man. Sounds like you need to listen to Heat Rocks every week. Myself and I'm Morgan Rhodes and my co-host here, Oliver Wong, talk to influential guests about a canonical album that has changed their lives. Guests like Moby, Open Mike Eagle, talk about albums by Prince, Joni Mitchell, and so much more. Yo, what's that show called again? Heat Rocks, deep dives into hot records. Every Thursday on Maximum Fun. Strange planets, curious technology, and a fantastic vision of the distant future. Featuring Martin Starr. So we're going on day 14. Shuttle still hasn't come. Aparna Nancherla. The security system provides you with emotional security. You do the rest. Echo Kellum. Can you disconnect me or not? Hurry Kondabolu. I'm staying. From Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Jeffrey McGiver. Could you play Cindy Lauper's Girls Just Want to Have Fun? It's The Outer Reach. Stories from Beyond. Now available for free at MaximumFun.org or anywhere you listen. Oh my gosh. I really liked speaking with Anastasia. I'm going to, again, look at Hannah through the Zoom. Wasn't she nice? She was nice. And it was very interesting. And I just, I just, all of the books are good. They are difficult because they are dealing with difficult topics, but you know how I feel about books as being a really wonderful way to start conversations that are difficult with our kids, with ourselves, with others. Again, you should go and look for any of Anastasia's books. Divorce is the worst. Death is Stupid, Tell Me About Sex, Grandma, and Not My Idea, a book about whiteness. Get one for you. Get one for your school's libraries. Get one for your library library. These are, they're really good. They're they're very impactful and helpful, and that was great. You know what's also great? Listening to a mom have a breakdown. Hi, this is Teresa. This is a rant. It's just... 
it's an angry rant, but it's just also like an exhausted rant because where I live, things are opening back up quickly, and my partner and I are in agreement that even though things are opening back up quickly, that we want to still be cautious. And I know the kids are tired of being at home, and I'm tired of balancing all of the things. And now my partner is allowed to still work from home, but I'm required to go back to work, except I'm not an essential worker. I work in a library, and so one daycare we can't send them to because it's for essential workers only, and the other one is more expensive and costs more than I make in a week. And so now I'm upset because I have to go back to work in an environment that's not 100% safe. And my partner's upset because he has to watch, you know, the kids make sure that they're fine when they would rather be with their friends doing things. And the kids are upset because they want to see their friends and still not quite safe to do that. And everybody's upset. Nobody's upset at each other, but it's, it's a lot of hurt feelings and frustration and high anxiety in the house. And makes me really tired and even though it's early in the morning and I'm walking the dog to get a moment of peace I just I can't I can't get peace from these thoughts and it's hard and everybody's doing a really good job and even though everybody's trying their best it doesn't make it any less hard so thank you for reminding us that in these times we are we're still doing a good job thank you wow you said it at the end just because everybody is trying their best doesn't mean it's not still hard. You are doing a remarkable job. This is a deeply unusual situation we find ourselves in. There is still a lot that is unknown about this virus. There is still a lot known, a lot unknown about the effects of reopening. And even when that information comes out, what does that mean? Like, like I, like I feel, I don't think we're allowing ourselves to acknowledge the frustration and the emotional exhaustion from not being able to answer what are we supposed to be doing right now? I mean, like I, that it's it's really hard and also you're a librarian you're essential to me i love you i love librarians how many times can i say how much i love librarians i just signed the kids up for summer reading at our library and i don't know how we're gonna make it work there's something about me calling and picking up books but (laughs) we're gonna do it because libraries are deeply essential to communities. So, you know, let me just derail and go down that way. But like what you're expressing is what we're all feeling. Every day I wake up to a new thought of, well, I hadn't thought about that situation. Going back to work and not having childcare. This is unbelievable that this still isn't being addressed right now. That, that, it feels like the country has just decided to say, to refer to it as in the fall, right? Like it, this thing that's going to happen, but we need all other workers to come back to work. Well, what are we supposed to do with our children? Why isn't the very first group whose problem that needs to be solved, why isn't one of those first groups teachers and administration and educators 
working on how to solve that first before, you know, the corporate office, right? Like that is a nicer building than our school. So like, I, this is a real thing people are struggling with. Kids not being able to see their friends. I, for as doom and gloom as I am, I really didn't think we would still be sheltering in place like we are here in, in California. And I want the kids to go see their friends so badly. And this has gone on for so long that I know that there are times I feel like, well, is this really happening? Oh, can't be a big deal. This isn't happening. <laughs> and yeah, we don't do it because I know it's happening. But like, it's, again, when we don't have the information and everything is just about risk assessment, that's like a really shitty place. And it's like we talked about this whole show. It's like, how do you help kids navigate these difficult times I don't know how else to explain to my kids why they can't see their friends. You know, they they know there's a pandemic. They know there's a risk. And yet here we all are still wanting to go. You're going through a lot of anxiety. You're about to go back to work. And your partner who's been working from home is suddenly now going to be in charge of two two jobs, you know, uh, his job and child care and that's a lot and I'm so happy to hear that everybody's still being reasonable with each other <laughs> I am not being very reasonable and I I see you and I see that you're doing a remarkable job what did we learn today Ugh, we learned that we have to continue to have really difficult conversations with our children and help them be people that we want to send out into the world. You know, like, that's hard. That is actually hard, like, real and hard and important. And I think about comparing it to all the bullshit that I deem important, that I let myself get focused on with the kids and home and, and all of it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, her comparison, Anastasia's comparison to the mittens really hits home. You know what I mean? Like, I think a lot of the parenting stuff is bullshit and tedious and horrible, and I fucking hate it. <laughs> but these bigger discussions is where I think the real, the real weight of being a parent comes into place. And I kind of like that she had a spin on it that made that be, I don't think I ever thought about that being the important part of all this. I really didn't. And so that really helps me when I think about navigating these conversations with them. We also learned that ugh, this is all still happening, guys. It's all still happening. The pandemic is still happening. Not knowing what's next with the pandemic is still happening. What is still happening and has been happening for hundreds and hundreds of years when it comes to racial injustice in our country is still happening. I, I just always go back to those quotes about, you know, we cannot be free until all of us are free. We cannot have justice until there is justice for everyone. And 
just like these books and the topics that we talked about today, these are difficult discussions to have with ourselves, with our children, and with the people in our lives. But it is it is worth it because the change has to come. It is not, I want change to come. The change has to come. So everybody, I see you. Okay? You don't have to prove to me on Facebook that you're trying. <laughs> okay? I see you. I know that you're doing a good job. Everything is upside down right now. It's all producing a lot of feelings, triggering a lot of old injuries, causing a lot of new injuries, and uh, it's really hard to know where to go, especially when you're completely depleted. And I think you're remarkable. I see you, and you are doing a very good job. Teresa, I know that you are doing an excellent job. Everybody, we're going to figure this out together when it comes to where we're going with this show and how we're doing it while Teresa needs the time that she needs. I appreciate you guys continuing to support the show and listen. And I'm going to be here next week. And I just want to say thank you to Hannah, who has been incredibly helpful and supportive during this odd time (laughs) but it's fun odd can be fun and we are gonna figure this out together you guys are doing a great job hannah's doing a great job i am here functioning like a person except when it comes to watering the yard and i will be here next week and i will talk to you then bye i got to load down mama blues, I got to slow down mama blues, got to slow down mama blues, slow down mama blues, got to slow down mama blues, got to slow down mama blues, you know that right. We'd like to thank Max Fun, our producer, Hannah Smith, our husbands, Stephen Lawrence and Jesse Thorne, our perfect children who provide us with inspiration to say all these horrible things, and of course, you, our listeners. To find out more about the songs you heard on today's podcast and more about the show, please go to MaximumFun.org slash OneBadMother. For information about live shows, our book, and press, please check out OneBadMotherPodcast.com. One Bad Mother is a member of the Maximum Fun family of podcasts. To support the show, go to MaximumFun.org slash donate. Well, Daddy, baby, bustin' by, not low down mama blue. Oh, said Daddy, baby, bustin' by, not low down mama blue. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.